uh, is why is it so hard to, te- to talk about sex in the church? And silence. That's great. You guys have fell right into this. <laughs> and so let's be honest, right? Sex is, uh, it's uncomfortable. Our inner middle schooler giggles when we hear the word sex. Like you can just, I'll just say it and everyone gets sex. It's funny, you know? Like we just want to laugh because it's a funny word and uh, there's something about it. Um, the other reason why I think we are, uh, why it's hard to talk about is because we um, have not heard a lot of helpful talk on sexuality, especially in the church. Um, the other reason is talking about sex can bring in a, in, in, in a, an amazing amount of shame and guilt. And the other thing is it's not just a conversation about pornography. Sexuality or sexual immorality seems to be the sin that stays the most hidden within the church today. And lastly, it doesn't just affect men. Uh, ben Pitson, uh, he's, he's with us from Palmer Seminary, and he's one of our house church shepherds and just doing a great job. He sent me an article about a lady named Jessica Harris, who's a woman who's struggled with sexual sins, specifically in pornography, for, for years. And she had a quote that I think nailed it on the head. And she says, it's not a man issue, it's a sin issue, which makes it a humanity issue. And I just, I love that quote. Um, it's just really good. And unfortunately, when we talk about sex in church, we normally begin with the do's and the don'ts of sex. And um, this morning, I want us to bypass the do's and the don'ts, and I want us to begin again at the beginning, uh, which, is, which is the foundation of how we understand it with a biblical worldview of who we are as people. And, the, and that, in, in the first thing that we need to understand is sex is not a bad thing. Let me say that one more time for those of you. Sex is not a bad thing. Amen. All right. Man, this is great. We got an amen. I love that your wife slapped you. That was awesome. <laughs> but sex, it is God created, it is beautiful, and it is created for us, and it is good. In the Hebrew word, it is tov. Tov meov. Really good. And so as, as we look, in order to begin at the beginning, we have to look at Genesis 1.27 to, to, to lay the right foundation. It says, God created man in his own likeness. He created him in the likeness of God. He created them as male and as female. And so my brothers and sisters, we are made in the image of God. That means we are made with spiritual, we are made in a spiritual image. But we are also made as male and female. That we are made sexually. God made us both 100% spiritual and 100% sexual. Let me say that again. God made us 100% spiritual beings in a 100% sexual body. Because we are sexual. We have organs. We were made male or female. And so God made us. We can't separate our sexuality from our spirituality because God created both and he wants to redeem and reclaim and renew both of those things. And so what does scripture talk about? Well, if we look forward about uh, a chapter towards the end of Genesis, it has the end of the creation narrative, the second telling of it. There's this beautiful story that I just love. I teach it at weddings because I think it's powerful. But it talks about how and God made them male and female uh, and they were naked and they felt no shame. And so the original intention of this sexuality is that, is that even in our nakedness, without clothes, we could, be, we could experience no shame together. 
Uh, the Bible, if you ever run across this word in the Bible, and Jacob knew his wife, or when Jacob went in to know his wife, it's talking about sex. It's not actually knowing like, hey, how you doing? It's talking about <laughs> different kind of knowing. Um, but this idea of knowing is to be fully present and fully vulnerable with one another. I mean, my friends, we have an entire book of the Bible called the Song of Solomon where it talks about breasts being like grapes and ivory towers and necks. And it just like goes wild about our sexual organs and about who we are and about how God made it. And yes, it does connect to what intimacy with God should look like, but it also teaches us about the importance of our sexuality. So God created sex, and sex is good, but we also know, and most of us understand this, it can be destructive, damaging, and broken. Many of us who grew up within the church heard over and over again about how sex is bad and dirty, and wait until you're married. So even in that, it sets you off in this really strange place. You hear it's bad, it's dirty, don't think about it, don't do it, just stay away from it, and then you get married. It's like, that's okay now. It's like, well, you just told me for like 20-some years that this is bad, and now you're saying it's okay? That messes with our brains. It messes with my brain. Whether or not it was meant to be communicated this way, that's just the way that it is. Um, and another thing that, that we've heard is that if you had sex before you were married or outside of marriage, that you were unclean, and that there was this deep sense and feeling of guilt and shame. And we have to understand that sex is a beautiful gift, but when it is used, when it is abused, and when it is used outside of the relationship that God intended for it, it is destructive. And a lot of us can look in our own lives and say, yeah, I've seen sexuality, I've seen my own sexuality become more destructive than I have seen it as whole and beautiful in the way that God created it to be. And so where do we get that? When we think about our culture, and obviously when you're talking about sexuality, you have to rail on the culture because that's what we do. We're evangelicals. Um, but we have to understand that our culture, uh, there's a guy named Rick McKinley. He's a pastor out in Portland, um, excellent teacher. But he taught on sexuality a few months ago. And he said this, and I love this, and I'm stealing it because it's great. He said, Sexu- our, our culture, it is sexually charged and extremely sexually immature. And it is an idol within our culture. And so we think about a film like 40-Year-Old Virgin, right? I mean, this is, this. any of you seen it? You can raise your hand if you did. No, you don't want to. Okay, okay, I understand <laughs> Um, you know, again, better late than never. The whole story is a story about trying to get their friend laid because they, they think his life is terrible. Because he hasn't experienced the sexual thing, then he's not quite the person that he is. And the truth is, is that as a youth pastor for many years, most of the kids in, in, in the youth group really felt like, well, if, if, I'm, if I'm a virgin, I'm kind of off on the society. Like, I'm just not good. I'm not cool. Um, people look at me different. And the truth is, because they do. Because virginity is something that is mocked upon. It's laughed at within the culture in which we live, which is such a sad, sad thing. Or then we look at the picture on the, on the, uh, on the other side here. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard this. There's a stuff called intense KY jelly. But apparently if you use it during sex, explosions will happen behind you. <laughs> it's a miracle. It is a miracle. So KY Jelly sales will go up today, I'm sure, because then most of you have been enlightened to this. But think about how sexually immature that is. It says that like you haven't experienced sex until you've seen explosions. Anyways, we can, and I and I come back. 
You know, we, I, I love walking through, I love and hate walking through the magazine racks uh, as we're checking out at Walmart or whatever. I love like, you know, quilters, you know, quilting guide magazine. And then like, you know, how to make a quilt that helps you have better sex. You know, you're like, how in the world has this infiltrated the quilters? Like, come on. You know, and then there's better homes and gardens. Like, how to have sex in your garden. You're like, really? Can I not escape this at all? We struggle with really understanding that our culture is infatuated with it. We really think that the way that our culture talks about sex is this. Uh, the way that sex is good, according to culture, is the intensity, the frequency, and the technique. And so sex in our church and in our culture, not in our church, in our culture, is a commodity. And many of us in this room, I think if we're completely honest with ourselves, we have bought into the idea that if we could only perform better, have it more often, and have it be more mind-blowing, then our lives would be better, our marriages would be healthier, and things would be great. But here's the thing, it is a lie. It is a lie. Because sex, when commodified, when moved into technique and intensity and frequency, it's cheapened. And it, cheap, it's cheap, it cheapens God's design, it cheapens people involved, and it gives an idea that sex is, uh, of sex that is far, far from the truth. And the truth is, is that sex is such a good thing that in God's grace he placed boundaries of protection around it. And he called it purity. And, and he, he calls us to keep these ideas of purity within the, bedroom, within the boundary in the bedroom in this beautiful covenant called marriage. And God is seeking to protect us in the covenant of marriage, not take our fun away. And the truth is, is that the evil one likes to take the good, beautiful, God-ordained things and he likes to distort them and he likes to make them for something that is evil. And so pornography is a distorted view of sex. I know that may be a shocker to some of you. But unfortunately, it has been the teacher... And the thing that many of us men and women have decided is what sex should look like and how we are to grade ourselves by it. A friend of Ecclesia, a guy by the name of A.J. Swoboda, wrote a great book. It's called Messy. Highly recommend it. Um, and he has this quote, and, and I love it. It says, sexuality outside of the context of covenant is always destructive. When it doesn't take into account the rest of the human person and their history, it hurts. The law of pornography is sexuality free from the messiness of humanity. It doesn't take into account the real things of life, disagreement, argument, struggle, and authentic humanity. Pornography never has a section at the end showing how the relationship has continued after the act of sexuality. It's all about the sex only. And my friends, as a pastor for now uh, 15 years, um, I have sat with many people who would tell stories of destruction and not freedom. Married, singles, teenagers, it, I mean, across the board, old people, divorced people, young people. And they've talked about how it is a gift except for when it's abused, it becomes destructive. And the truth is, is that sex outside of the covenant of marriage only brings destruction. And I believe that and I affirm that and I want you to hear me say that. And scripture has a ton, ton, ton to say about our sexuality. And so we're, we're, uh, Shannon's going to come up and read, and so I'm going to have her come and get ready. But one of the things that... Uh, she's reading from the book of 1 Corinthians, and Corinth was a wild town. I mean, there was brothels, there was... I mean, it was just a sexually saturated town, not much different than our own cities and towns today. 
Um, in fact, Paul had to write a letter uh, because one of the things that he had to address is some dude was sleeping with his mom. And he said, really? Like, this is not, we don't do this. It says maybe stepmom, we're not sure. But regardless, like, Paul is just, he has to teach a lot on sexual immorality to the church of Corinth. So, if you guys have your Bibles, open up to 1 Corinthians 6, 15 through 20, and um, listen to what I'm about to read. And so Paul asked the question in this, in this uh, passage. He says, what is sex? And so I, I want to ask that question to us today. And you don't have to respond. But we are stuck here with this question that Paul is he's asking us. He says, is sex, is it a spiritual mystery as it is spoken about in the scriptures? Or is it, or is it a pleasurable technology simply made for enjoyment, for self-gratification? Because Paul is part of a tradition that really believes that the spiritual reality of sex is that what it does is it unites two people together in a mysterious way. Um, Paul talks about, Jesus talks about, the Old Testament talks about how, how a marriage, the beauty of a marriage, marriage really works when, when the two become one. So it really happens when the sex takes place. And it's over a long period of time but this, there's mystery in this idea of two people becoming one person. And so sex, sex was meant and it was designed for two people. And Paul takes the, the spiritual and the sexual realities and he talks about them not as two completely different things, but he talks about them as one. Um, and that's a beautiful thing. In verse 15 he says, Our bodies belong to Christ, and, and, and he basically paraphrased, and sex unifies us with whoever we sleep with. And Paul doesn't mess around, and I like that. He's very direct in this. When he talks about sex, he says, you are united with the person that you sleep with. And that is an intimate bond. For believers, both married and single, we are first and foremost united to Christ. He is our lover. He is the one that calls us into and woos us into a relationship with Him. We belong to Christ. And we can't unite ourselves with whoever we want uh, and, and not think that this doesn't have any kind of spiritual ramifications because there is a spiritual mystery that happens in the bodily action of sex. None of us were meant to ask the question after we have sex with someone and we wake up in the morning and say, are you going to be here tomorrow? That's not the way sex was designed and I love how Paul talks about it as a spiritual mystery meant to be pure within a marriage. I mean, this is a challenge not just to our single brothers and sisters, but again, this is to our married people as well. And so Paul, again, as he moves through this, he asks us the other question of like, so who are you as a sexual being? 
Um, Stanley Hauerwas, he's a, he's a theologian, um, great guy, I think. Uh, he, he has this, this, this amazing quote. He says, We are either covenant makers and keepers or we're pleasure seekers. Um, either we are made to be committed or we are animals to seek our own pleasure. Our culture and time look at sex like a handshake. Have, have you seen this? It's, I mean, you watch any TV show and there's all these sexual encounters and at the end of a sexual encounter, everyone's just like, oh, that was awesome. Like, man, it was really good. It's like, or it's like, oh, that was awkward and I just don't want to talk to you anymore. But our culture kind of makes sex, like this joke, Dennis is the one that he said, our culture looks at sex like it's just a handshake. It's like shaking hands. Hey, how you doing? Um, it's something that we try out to see if we're compatible instead of looking at it as a lifelong commitment and mystery. Um, and JR said that, the way that we live our lives, we were talking this week, he said, the way we live our lives tells a story. Our sexuality is a form of evangelism in a world that looks at monogamy and virginity as almost unbelievable. And so singles, I want to speak directly to you, teenagers, you know, those of you that are older than teenagers. Um, those of you that are single, we know that you have a longing for the most of you to get married. And we have done a piss poor job of supporting you in your singleness by trying to hook you up on dates, by trying to figure out ways that we can say, hey, there's this person I would really love for you to meet. I think you guys would be great. We have not loved you well in that. We have not celebrated with you in your singleness. And Mary and I were talking about this a lot. Like, how do we, how do we help singles grasp our sexuality? How do we help them to begin? How do we help you? How do we help us as a community really have that conversation better to say, what do I do as a single person who's trying to live a life that honors God. Um, we, we, we are going to have a learning community uh, coming up in January uh, for singles, just called Singles and Sex, and we can talk about those things, and it's going to be fantastic. But we also want to understand that um, it's easy for us married people to say to singles, you should wait. And it's easy for single people to look at married people and be like, screw you. You know, like, <laughs> who do you think you are? You know, I, I want to experience this. This is an important thing. But again, it's, it's hard from the standpoint of someone who is married because, and again, this is one of those places that's really sticky. Like, you may hear, you know, singles in the place. You may hear us say things like, you know, wait till you're married because that's the way that God designed it. And you may say, you don't know what it's like. And the truth is, is we, we don't. But sometimes you have to trust community and you have to trust the people that have moved ahead of you a bit and said, you know what, that road is dangerous and don't go down. Trust us. Um, it, and again, uh, as a single person, one of the things that's beautiful is you can be chaste and pure, not just by protecting your virginity, but by choosing to be in a covenant relationship with Jesus. My friends, this is what builds character. And married people as well, you can build character by not looking at porn, by not looking at all the different places and trying to be influenced by all the different things and, and feeling like you're just not good at this. You can build character by being committed solely to your wife or your husband. And my single friends, you can, be, you can build character by being committed to Jesus and by saying, Lord, I'm going to trust that you're going to fulfill those needs when the time is right. And if he doesn't, then I'm going to trust that you're going to fulfill those needs in my life. Which is really easy for a married person to say. And I understand that. But I also want you to know that as a community, singles, we need to support you 
And we need to continue to say, we are, che- we are cheerleading with you. We want to help you. We want to say yes. Like, we want to protect you. We want to be with you in the journey that you have by engaging in, re- in relationship with you. That's not just like, oh, how are things going? By actually addressing the elephant room. How are you feeling about being single with your sexuality? Like, what's that like? Are you okay? How can I support you? How can I pray for you? What, and, and granted, now this is what not, I'm not saying. People don't take this literally and like, as soon as I say amen, you all come up like, all right, where are the singles at? And you're just like, hey, how are you doing? Like, let's <laughs> Let relationships form first, okay? Let's be very wise about this. But singles, you have to understand that we need to learn how to love you better. And we need to do a good job of being with you in your singleness because one of the things that's terrible is the church has made marriage in some ways into this idol. Like, you're really not a person. You really haven't lived until you've been married. But the truth is, some of the most beautiful saints, I mean, the saints, the saints, not the football team, but the saints of like the 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th century are people that said, I love God so much that I'm married to Him. And so singleness was this celebrate. Like, that's what the rock stars did back in the day. Um, Augustine, one of, he's an unbelievable theologian, uh, 4th century uh, guy who was just awesome. Like, brilliant, brilliant man. But one of the things that he wrote about um, is he said that uh, this sexuality was such a, tempta- such a temptation for him that, like, that's what he battled all of his life. There's a story, I can't remember this guy's name. He was a saint. Um, he was a desert father. And this dude, we'll call, we'll call him Cletus. I know that's not his name, but it was something like that. It was really different. Um, but he literally ran to the desert and sp- because he was so sexually charged. He was like just this horny dude. And he was so charged that he went to the desert and he, he just sat in a cape. And men would come visit him and bring him food and stuff. And the story is 40 years later, he's like this old crippled man. And he's sitting in the cave and this like beautiful like, you know, 18-year-old girl walks by and he goes, those 40 years were such a waste of my time. It's like, okay, so this happens. Um, I thought that was an interesting story. So we have to understand that this, um, there's, there's a, a many, many a saint uh, in the early church uh, origins, one of them, because sexual sin was such something that he went to, he castrated himself. Yeah. So the, these guys were rock stars, sometimes in a crazy way. Like, I don't, we're not saying that. Please do not hear me saying, if you struggle with that, castrate yourself. That's not what I'm saying. Um, but I am saying that the church in the previous generation said this is that important. That our singleness is a beautiful thing. It's something that we need to hold on to. We need to say, I will be united with Christ, and that will be enough. And Paul talks about that later in, 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 in Corinthians. Because we have to understand that sex is primarily about God. It's not about you and me. Um, because it's about continuity. As God has been continually faithful in our lives, so we are to be continually faithful to our spouse. Um, it is a lens into a spiritual mystery between him and us. And the longer we stay in this journey, the closer we grow to God and each other. Johnny said a few weeks ago, and, and I couldn't agree with him more, um, that the common thought in the church is that the world has the best sex. And when we look at our culture and we think it looks pretty amazing, it's intense, it's frequent, it's wild and crazy, it's 50 shades of whatever. Um, but the truth is all those things are all fantasy and they're all, they're all lies. Um, those of you that have been married uh, for more than three or four days... Um, <laughs> can say that you've had times when sex has been absolutely amazing and you've had times 
when, uh, when, when it has been infrequent and frustrating. That sex in your married life has had highs and lows. Um, and if, if you've been married for any length of time, you've experienced disappointment, frustration, and hurt. I'm not going to make people raise their hands, but are you all hearing me, right? Like married couples, it, it is not this beautiful thing that's so easy. It's not just like, oh yeah, sex is great. Like we have it four times a day and everything's fine and we never have trouble at all. But that we actually, it's something that we have to grow into. That it doesn't just start zero to 60 like the culture says. It's not just this amazing moment of like, you know, the explosion, the KY intense jelly. You know, that's when we're older and mature and we realize that we need something like that. (laughs) But the truth is that what happens is when we look at our sexuality, it's something that just like our relationships, it grows over time. Like who are we to think that that sex should be zero to 60 in a second? but that it's something that grows over a lifetime of being continually faithful to the one that God has placed you with. And it grows out of this beautiful relationship that we have with God. Because sex tells a story about two people becoming one. Our sexuality, like our relationships, it ebbs and it flows. It grows and it changes over the years. And it's more than an orgasm and fertilization. It's commitment and it's intimacy and it's and, and where we experience oneness and spiritual mystery. J.R. Um, talked about sex to a bunch of students at Taylor a few years ago, and he called his his series "Sex in the Cornfields." And uh, one of the things that I appreciate about what he said about sexuality is the main thing that we have to understand when we think about sex and our sexuality is discipleship, because our sexuality is a form of discipleship. I think he's spot on. And so what do we do? We, we, need to, we need each other in this understanding as we begin to pursue sexual purity. And I've seen firsthand what this looks like when we try to handle our sexuality and our sexual immorality on our own. It's a mess. It's terrible. My first two years of ministry, I was a pastor at a larger church. In my first two years, I saw three pastors uh, fall to sexual affairs. They were alone on an island you know, they worked long hours, and I saw literally uh, all three fam- all six families ripped apart in a church that was left bleeding, angry, and confused. And it, it, w- it was a nightmare. It was a nightmare. But I learned some things from my, two- my first two years in ministry. And this is the one thing that I learned, and I want us to kind of lean in and listen to this. No one is above this. None of us, as we sit here, are above this kind of explosion, this kind of destructive behavior. What I learned is that all of us are a few decisions away from making the same mistakes. Um, Last week, last gathering, JR talked about the idea of the enemy, the devil, prowling like a lion, ready to destroy and devour us. We should not be surprised I would even gamble that some of us in this room here today are struggling with the same thing. If the numbers are right, that some of us are actually struggling with this today. We're only a decision away. The other thing that I've learned is it doesn't happen overnight. Falling into a destructive pattern like that does not happen overnight. You don't wake up one day saying, what just happened? Sexual immorality, it's a slope. Uh, where we need to be on guard and we need to see it from the beginning stages. And so what do those beginning stages look like 
and a lot of that for men and women both, it's what are our minds saying to ourselves? You know, what, what are we feeling when around that? Like, I'm feeling really excited when I'm around this person. Like, that should be a trigger to say, I probably need to back off from that relationship. That's a great trigger to say to someone that you know within community who's, who's a Christian saying, I, you, you need to help me. Uh, I, loved, I loved hearing stories of people that, that have seen that coming and, and just abandoned ship like, you know, beautiful Joseph running naked away from Potiphar and his wife, you know, Potiphar's wife, like just taken off, butt naked, robe left behind. I don't want anything to do with this. Keep your clothes on as you're running, but make sure you run. One of the things that I also learned is that we need, and JR talked about this last week, we need to live intentional lives in community to move in the direction of holiness and wholeness. And that includes our sexuality. This is counter, it is, it is counterintuitive. And as counterintuitive as it sounds, we need to talk about it. And again, we need to be staring at the lines on the butt of the impala in front of us. And this is where we need to recognize that when we have a loving community praying for us, encouraging us, holding us accountable in our sexuality, good things will happen. The other two things that I learned and these two things are, are the, the very redeemable parts. Is number one, that there is a whole lot of shame attached to sexual immorality. And number two, that it is not the unpardonable, unforgivable sin. Let me say those two things again. There is a whole lot of shame attached to sexual morality that Jesus wants to destroy. And he wants to make you clean and whole. Um, as, as I learned from Lisa Gribben this week, this is the sign for holiness and that God wants to, this is clean. God wants to wipe that stuff away. He wants to clean the shame. He wants to get it off. And the second thing is, it is not the unpardonable, unforgivable sin. And so Paul warns the church, he says, run far away from sexual immorality. Don't even skirt near it. Just run, flee, be as far away as you can. And so the last part of, of the passage, Paul makes this great statement and he says, um, and I'm going to paraphrase in my words, but he says, so what do we do with our sexuality? And Paul brings it back to the gospel and he says, you, my friends, my brothers and sisters, you've been bought with a price. So how many of you have heard that, that, that passage? I've been, you've been bought with a price, right? And so a lot of us, we grow up in um, the West, and so when we think of being bought with a price, we, we think about sin being our debt, right? Like, we have this debt, and we can't, we can't pay it, and so what God does is He sends His Son, Jesus, He dies, and then Jesus is able to, like, take the, the eternal ATM card and swipe it and pay off all of our debts, and then we're debt-free. And I had this moment as I was reading and, and thinking through this passage this week, um, where it connected to something uh, much deeper. And so there's this amazing story. He's an Old Testament prophet. He's a guy by the name of Hosea. Um, this is what he looked like, I think. He'd probably not, but he might have looked like that. Um, but Hosea, have any of you ever read the book of Hosea? Hosea is the man. So God calls Hosea to embody the gospel. He says, I want you to marry a prostitute. And I want you to have children. I want you to name them certain names. We're not getting into that. But I want, you to, I want you to marry a prostitute and I want you to be faithful to her. Whenever she runs away, I want you to go back. I want you to find her. I want you to bring her back. And all of a sudden I realized that Paul, Paul's not just talking about a financial transaction. Paul's saying all of us 
have hoard our lives away from God. And like Hosea, I'm Jesus is our Hosea, and we are his wife Gomer. And the beautiful thing is what what the, the highlight of the story is Hosea has to go into the city and find his wife and buy her back. He has to purchase his bride back from the man that, that he is sleeping with, that she is sleeping with. So all of a sudden, like, these light bulbs went off in my head. You see, my friends, here's the deal. Like, sexual immorality is a real thing, and we need to work at it. We need each other to do it. But we have to understand that Jesus himself is the one who buys us back. That he invites us back in with open arms. He says, I will redeem and restore all that has been broken and thrown apart and destroyed. Because that's the power of the gospel. The good news is that even in our sexual sin, the sin that the church has defined as the most heinous of all crimes... That God says, I, I will invite you back. I will heal you. I will make you my own again. And it's amazing. Uh, I have So those are the three really bad situations that I've seen within church. I've also seen three really good situations. Um, three friends of ours, Mare and I, people that we know and that we've loved. Um, some of the hardest conversations ever is when a husband comes and says, hey, I've, I've been cheating and I need help. And my wife found out. And you're sitting there thinking, this thing's going to explode. I do not see a way forward. But then like nine years later, they're married, they have kids, they're happy, and now God's calling them into relationship with other people who've been struggling with the same thing. Like that's being bought with the price. Like you've been purchased, you've been pulled out of this stuff in a way where you're just sitting back and saying, God, you're so big. Look what you did. I didn't deserve this. That both of them live in a place without shame and without guilt, completely and fully redeemed by the love and the blood of Jesus Christ. And so even in our sexual immorality, whether it's pornography, whether it's just the thoughts that we have throughout the day, whether it's us putting these expectations on our husbands and our wives, even in that, that there's hope for us. And that Jesus woos us back and he calls us to come back to, to, to our first love, to Jesus. And he invites us in with open arms. And so the story of sex and the saints is a story of great hope and the story of great redemption. And so what do we do with it this week? So here's my challenge. I've got three things. Number one, I want us to read the book of Hosea. I want us to read it. I want us to, to just pour over it in the next seven days. Bust it out. You know, it's, it's in the Old Testament. It's, it's kind of like, kind of shoved between a few other minor prophets, but it's good. And it's rich. And as you read it, I want you to read it from two perspectives. Put yourself in Hosea's shoes and put yourself in Gomer's shoes. Make it three. Put yourself in God's shoes. It's a beautiful thing. The second thing is this. Um, many of us in this room, uh, you didn't even need to hear a, a, a teaching on sexual immorality slash sexual purity, sex and the saints, to even think that, oh, my, I might have a problem. You, you, just, you knew it before you even came in. And so one of the things that Renew does that I love, this is the best money that we spend on our community year in and year out, um, is if you are struggling with any kind of internet issues with, with pornography or with anything like that, which most there are probably quite a few in here that are, not just the men, men and women alike, if you would like to sign up for Covenant Eyes, what this is, it's a, it's a software that goes on your computer and that eyeball sits at the top of your browser. It's awesome. It looks at you. Uh, this week was funny. I had to, I had to, I had to email Dwayne and Jason Brand. Is Jason in here? Uh, I don't know. Uh, Dwayne and Jason are my accountability guys. So the, every week they get a report that shows all my different websites that I was on. 
And so it's kind of scary because you're like, well, I really need to make sure that I'm doing the right things. But I had email because I was studying about sexuality. I'm like, dude, they're going to think I'm like going off the deep end and things are just crazy. So, uh, but with that, what happens is, is honestly, and, and, and guys, I'm going to be like real honest. There have been times when I am tempted to look at pornography and because that eye is up in the corner, I don't. Because I don't want to have to go to Dwayne, who's then going to make me go to my wife and have that conversation and say, I've screwed up. So the way that this thing protects me is just awesome. And the way that it just sits, it's like the ever-watching eye. I love that image. And it, it will bug you. But if you would like to be on it, um, it costs nothing. It will cost you nothing. We will pay for it. So what I need you to do is that's my email address. Uh, write it down. Send me an email. Say, can you get me set up on this? Men or women. Okay, I'm not just... This is not a male, a male issue. Um, but please, I, we mean this. Right now, I think we, all of our elders are on it, a bunch of our house church shepherds, and quite a few other people within Renew. We offer this a lot, and uh, it's, it's a great thing. <coughs> so that's the second thing. And the third thing is this. The first step to moving towards holiness is admitting that we are not holy. And so we, all of us, right, we want God to move in our life and we sing and we, we lift our hands and, and we, we do all the religious things. But the first step in our move towards holiness is confession and repentance. So some of us this morning, we don't have to search our hearts very hard because we know that sexual immorality is something we struggle with. Some of us, we long for sexual purity. It's kind of that double-edged sword. And so we don't want to all talk about sexual morality. We want to talk about the striving towards sexual purity as well. And some of us may just feel like, you know what, I haven't been striving towards that. I need a change. And so what, what I want us to do is I want us to have a few minutes and we're going to just pray and just qu- quietly. And if, if, if the Lord is messing with your heart, if something that was said or even something that wasn't said, but something that you sensed as you were hearing this stuff, I want to give us a few minutes just to sit quietly with the Lord and confess, confess honestly, not like, God, I'm struggling, like, God, I'm struggling with this, God, I've been a jerk to my wife, I've been a jerk to my spouse, I'm putting huge expectations on them that they can't fill, God, help me understand sexuality the way that you do, maybe some of us are coming to a place where we've been sexually abused, and you've been broken in that way, then my prayer is not that you're in a place of confession, but you're in a place of beginning to receive healing. Maybe it's been hidden for a hundred years. Just never wanted to talk about it. The Lord, the Lord is inviting you this morning to talk to him about it. And uh, we're just, when I'm done, I'll wrap up, wrap us up in prayer. And I want to just say one thing. There's going to be some people up here praying during the communion time, specifically for couples and specifically for single people. And so I want to encourage you, we're all going to, people are going to come up and, and, and to be prayed for. And I want to make sure that we don't judge others, but that we actually encourage, we almost celebrate. Look, there's people taking courageous steps to go get prayed for. And we're not going to try to figure out what it is that's going on, but we're just going to allow Jesus to do his work. So when the communion table is open, um, my friends who are really being hit with this stuff, there's going to be people to come and pray. Because there's something amazing that happens the moment we speak out what we're trying to hide. Satan loses the power of what he's holding over us. So let's uh, quiet our hearts and close our eyes. And let's enter into a few minutes of silence and time to connect with the Lord.
Lord Jesus, I, I get the uh, the image in my head of the enemy longing to pour like real thick paint, shame and guilt over many of us in this room. But I'm watching you block the shame and the guilt and to allow freedom to begin to set in. And I thank you for that, Lord. Lord, I pray for us... um, I know that some of my words may have been weird and and not understood, but my prayer is that you would speak to us about the call that you put on our lives to be sexually pure people. Lord, I humbly ask that you would begin to change our hearts and our minds. And Lord, I thank you that you long to save our bodies as well. Lord, I pray that for those that are in the deepest pits of despair in this and in the deepest places of silence and darkness, that they would begin to see hope. That the resurrection is real and that that the power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead, we have access to. Lord, I pray for our married couples. And Lord, I ask that you would help us all to remove pressure where we have placed pressure. That you'd give us courage to repent for the ways that we have not been loving and kind. And that you would heal our marriages, especially sexually, in the ways that you need to. Lord, I, I pray for really hard conversations in the next few days with our spouses as we begin to engage what health and wholeness would look like. And Lord, I'm going to trust that your spirit will prompt those conversations that you'll give grace and you'll help us to have conversations in wise ways about that. Because we know the two things in marriages that always cause trouble are sex and money. And so we need your extra grace in this conversation. And Lord, I pray for our singles. Lord, I, I repent for standing in a place of not fully understanding what it's like. And I ask that you would help us to love and embrace our singles. Help us to cheerlead them. Lord, I pray that you would protect them. Lord, that they wouldn't see their virginity and sexuality as something that they need to try out, but they'd see it as this beautiful thing that is supposed to grow with time. May you protect them. May you love them. May you show them what what an honorable character-building thing it is that they're going after. And Lord, for those of us that have screwed up, I thank you for forgiveness this morning. Thank you that you bought us all back. That you sought us out and you paid the price to bring us back into the home. And you said, I don't want you to leave. I want you to stay. So Lord, thank you for that truth this morning. Thank you for your grace and your mercy that is present with us. May you strengthen us so that we as a community tell a story of sexually, of people who understand sexuality in a way where we honor it at all times as much as the way that we honor our minds and our souls and our hearts. May we see those two things deeply connected. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.